Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. Have you ever wondered how a book becomes a movie? Or how a movie becomes a musical? Or how anything is adapted at all? Join us as we talk about your favorite stories and all the changes that were made along the way. But more importantly, why? This is Willing to Adapt. Hi, welcome to Willing to Adapt. My name is Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. And I hope you're all doing well today. We're excited to be back. So would you like to explain uh, what we're going to talk about today? What book we read? Um, yes. If you can remember. It's right in front of you. <laughs> it's right in front of me. It's Mrs. Brisby. No, Sorry. it's not. Mrs. Frisby. No copyright issues, I guess, with the name for the book. And the Rats of Nim. I, I seriously thought that you read it as Brisby. No, I did. I'm not that. I am older, but I'm not blind yet. Yet. I do need reading glasses. I have normal glasses. I do too. Unfortunately, I need reading glasses with my normal glasses now. But that's Get a whole it. other uh, subject. All right. I am not going to lie to you folks. The only reason we read this book is because I love The Secret of Nim, and I wanted to talk about The Secret of Nim. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have you read the book before this? I have not. No. I did not know that this book existed until I got to middle school. Wow. Yeah. I remember I grew up with the movie. My dad had a bunch of VHS tapes growing up when I was growing up that he had recorded a bunch of stuff on Mm -hmm. in the 80s specifically. Yeah. So that's why I understand a lot of 80s references and style and music and whatnot because he had recorded so much from the 80s. Okay. He probably just jumped on that VHS bandwagon when it came out. (laughs) So he, he recorded a bunch of movies. I remember... He had, he had the Sword in the Stone, and then right after the Sword in the Stone was the Secret of Nim on his on his cassette. Okay. And so I remember I would watch both of those, and for some reason, I associated them together, which is probably why I always assumed the Secret of Nim was a Disney movie. Yeah. I went to the school library, uh-huh. and I was looking around, and I came across the book, and I was like, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. I was like. What is this? Is this supposed to be the secret of Nim? Why is her name wrong? <laughs> it's like it sounds like frisbee. Like the flying frisbee. That's why it was wrong. <laughs> or with quotes. It wasn't until later that I realized that the the frisbee disc came out after the book. Oh. So this now was your first time reading it. It was. I read it just for this podcast. Why did you not read it before? Well, I was I felt like I was too old to read it. Really? Well, because in middle school, I was reading at a really high um, reading level. Okay. For seventh grade, I was, I was, we had AR in school, which is, I think, accelerated reading. Yeah, it's, and they so, still have that today. Was, yes. That was after my time. Yes, it was. <laughs> they didn't care if you read. Nope. We got readers. See, Jane, run. <laughs> Actually, I think I remember reading that in, in first grade. Look, I think. Jane, look. Yes. No, um, it I was reading at a really high reading level, and I remember talking on this podcast before about my reading ability growing up and how I used to be bad at reading as a kid. But in middle school, I was reading at a 12th grade reading level, and so they would not allow me to read lower than a certain level. Oh, okay. So yeah. I I believe I was my highest reading level was a senior high school level, but my lowest may have been 8th grade. Even though I was in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And so Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, I think, was considered 
like fifth grade reading level. They don't put that information on the book, do they? No, but it was for AR. AR oh, decided. Right. Well, they, they have ages 8 through 12. Well, I, I mean, I guess that would have worked for 7th grade. Yeah, yeah, because I think 4th I mean, it's 13th. a concise book. It, it doesn't yeah. feel like a kid's chapter book, per se, but it's definitely an easy read. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, well, it, definitely, because I think I read it in two days. And Now, I... You and I have the same exact copy. Did you get it from Amazon? I did. I did too. <laughs> I actually want, tried to find the original, like the older copy I oh, had. Oh, I don't even know if you can find it. No. Oh, I'm, you mean you had an original I copy? I have. My, yeah, because so for me, I want to say I read the book first. You have a copy from 72? No, uh, mine was like a reprint in the 80s. Got it. <clears throat> yes, I was a kid in the 80s. And... We've established that. You graduated in 96. I want to I say that my mom bought it for me on the scholastic book orders they used to send home i don't know if you ever did you guys i don't know if you guys had that yeah yeah okay i i I don't remember them coming to our house i think they came to our school and we had to take them home which sucked because i read so much as a Mm -hmm. kid that like my grandparents would buy me books all the time through it i would just i would bring the booklet home and i would circle everything i wanted Uh, okay and I remember, like, the books would show up at school, and I'd have to take them home, and I would just be coming home with handfuls of books. Okay. And the copy, I remember the copy I got, it it did advertise that it was had been made into a movie. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and I... I now a major motion picture. Yeah, it was one of those. Like, with the cover and of I the wanted, movie. I want to say it had a picture of... Miss and No, 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 it, a picture on it, it had, I want to say it had a picture of uh, Mrs... Brisby, or yes. Brisby, or however you want to call her, on the cover. And I mean, either way, Mrs. Brisby is on the cover. But that's true. In some that's version, true. it's Frisbee. But I, I mean, the animated version versus this kind of realistic one with a cape. I do have to say, there are a couple of sec of because the version you and I both have, I guess, has the original drawings, the illustrations, in it. Oh, that's what, okay. I wasn't sure. They, yeah. I believe, it said that those were the original illustrations, but. I was interested because even though some of the illustrations have her with this cape on, mm-hmm. not all of them have her with the cape on. Oh. But she's wearing it on the cover. I don't but think she wears they it never mench- they never really mention it in the book. Like it's in- it never oh. was really Here's one picture with her with her cape on. Yeah, but it never says that she's wearing a cape. Yeah, like it never right. really says that she took her cape off or anything. Cuz there was actually a line in the movie that was There is for a in line the book, in the movie which they never spoke. Yes. Yeah. But um, it made me wonder if, I don't know, I was wondering if they, some of the movie inspired the, the, the cover and stuff, mm. I don't know. I'm curious now. They usually put whether the illustrations, I'm sure our listeners really don't care, but I'm going to look at it anyway. While you look, I'm going to give the listeners a very quick summary that tells them almost nothing. <laughs> it, says, it says it says interior illustration copyright 1971. Yeah, that's that should be the right one because I think the book came out 72, didn't it? 71. Did it 71? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, never mind. That was close. Okay, go ahead. Synopsis. Uh, you're right. I did write down 71. <laughs> All right. So quick quick summary. You doubt me. Mrs. Frisbee, a widowed mouse with four small children, must move her family to their summer quarters immediately or face almost certain death. But her youngest son, Timothy, lies ill with pneumonia and must not be moved. Fortunately, she encounters the rats of Nim, an extraordinarily bright 
sorry, an extraordinary breed of highly intelligent creatures who come up with a brilliant solution to her dilemma. And as you pointed out to me earlier, that is a succinct summary of both the book and the movie without going into any details. <laughs> yes. So what did you think of the book? Okay. So I'll, you read it as a kid. I read it as a kid. Did you read it before you watched the movie? I, I want to say I did. Okay. I want to say that I eventually saw the movie. So they, they must have played it for us at school. Uh, in fact, I want to They wheeled out the gigantic TV on... The, yes. <laughs> actually, I'm trying to remember because there the, was times... The earthquake hazard? <laughs> on the rollers. Uh, so... From what I remember, I think I, I want to almost say we had to read this for school. I could be wrong. A lot of schools have it for kids in middle school or or, or, or elementary. Yeah, for me, it would have been either third, fourth, maybe fifth, but I'm pretty sure it was third or fourth grade that we read this. Elementary school. Yeah. And I, I don't remember because I remember fifth. It's definitely a, an older elementary school. Mm -hmm. Like you would not have a kids in first grade reading this. No, no. I do remember we, we read the book and then we watched the movie. I remember we did that with Matilda. I never read her. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I love the movie Matilda. Are we going to add that to our list? It's on our list. Is it? Yes. I'll have to pull out our list. There's a bunch of Roald Dahl. Oh, is that who did it? Yeah, it's Roald Dahl. Roald, how do you say his name? Roald Dahl. Roald? Yeah, it's like... Roald. Roald. Roald I never pronounced the D in his first name. Roald? It's like Roald Dahl. All right. I just combine them. It's like my name. If I don't have my middle name... Without my middle name, my name's just Eric Crumley, and it's just the clashing C's. What is your middle name? Devon. Oh. I say it at the beginning of every podcast episode. <laughs> Clearly, you don't listen to me. You're just waiting to say your own name. <laughs> I am. I just want my name to be known. I'm going to do my middle name from now on, then. No. Yes. <laughs> there can only be one. I'm going to actually make up a middle name. I'll have a different Do you not have a middle name? Time. I do have a middle name. Well, what is it, then? It's a secret. Okay, Romy, it's a secret. The secret of Romy. Boo. <laughs> so tell me quickly, how did you enjoy this book as a kid when you first read it and now as an adult? Okay, so honestly, I, I don't remember much of what I thought when I read it, but I do remember I, I did enjoy it. How old do you think you were when you first read it? That's math in my head. I can't That's do that. So let's say fourth grade, third grade. Okay. So about 10. Yeah. Eight, nine or 10-ish. Eight, nine or 10-ish. I, really, I remember enjoying it. I, I, I do. I always loved anything anthropomorphic, adventure, journey, stuff like that. Most kids do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do remember really enjoying it as a kid. Uh, not an, the story faded with time, of course. So I'll be when I read it this time. Honestly, I don't remember a lot of what, it, or even when I was reading it this time around, I was I, there was stuff I'm like, wow, I don't remember that, um, and, and, or I had vague recollection of something similar to that happening. Or sometimes you just even add things in that are not in the book, as with your own memory as a kid. I want to say that because I saw the movie last or a second after reading the book, that my mind kind of Molded captured, yeah, I kind yeah. of captured the movie, and so. That and, and I, I. It's just so visual. It's so interesting to watch. Yeah, and even this time around, I watched the movie first and then reread the book, or I should say, rewatched the movie first. And it had been what? How many years? I don't want to do the cat mouth again, you know. But many, many, many years. And so, well, the movie came out in eighty two. 
but I so if I saw it in third or fourth grade, almost forty years. <laughs> not quite that long. <laughs> no, can't be. I was not. Yeah, no. So there was there was things I started to remember, but like I said, the the book and the movie melded together. I do remember watching the movie, thinking I, there's things I remember. I thought I remembered that didn't occur which must have been from the book because then when I read the book they were there right and so forth um, but no I, I back then I enjoyed it and today I re-enjoyed it I was actually pleasantly surprised at how I don't want to say it was a deep message but there the is book. yeah there are deep there are messages that I I'll, I'll say it this this way it really should you know it's a book that depending on how they teach it oh yes yeah because there there's a there's a couple ways you can you could loosely interpret it but i often will just take what the character says and that's the message essentially you know uh or usually within a dialogue or something like that because i mean you can i'm sure there's a lot you could you could pull from it um but in this case i i really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed some of the messages there. In fact, I would almost say it's messages that are some of the younger generations really need to hear. <laughs> I felt like it was also very casual about what it had to say. It was very off the cuff. Because it's a kid's book. That's what yeah, I Yeah, but I feel like nowadays it's everything's shoved down your throat so much. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even with kids. No, definitely. And, and I liked, I appreciated that aspect as, as a kid book I, I actually would like for my daughter to read it even though i know it's a bit young uh lit for her the book is young for her uh I, how do we how do i phrase that even though the book is a <laughs> the reading level the, of the reading book is level a little... is a little <laughs> lower than where she's at but i would hope so yeah she's reading well Steinbeck. the book itself was written by robert c o'brien in 1971 he unfortunately died two years later <laughs> We'll edit that out. <laughs> uh, Robert C. O'Brien worked as a journalist for a very long time. Um, for a while, he worked with National Geographic, which is interesting. Really? That I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And so he traveled the world, apparently, with National Geographic until he ended up developing glaucoma. So, oh, okay. So he had to stop. Yeah. And so they ended up moving... His family and him moved into Virginia to be closer to work, so he didn't have to drive so far. Mm -hmm. And with all his extra time, he ended up starting to write children's books. So he actually has a few successful books. I think one's called Z for Zachariah that I guess they turned into a movie at some point. Obviously this, they turned into a movie as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The work was inspired by research of John B. Calhoun on mouse and rat population dynamics at the real NIM which is the National Institute of Mental Health from the 1940s to 60s. Which I know very well. It's funny because as a kid, I watched the movie and I remember thinking of Nim as this fake thing. <laughs> and then you become an adult and you're like, wait, this is a real place? Yeah. And I only say I know it well because I studied uh, psychology. My, it's my, my degrees are in psychology. So I've read a lot of articles from Nim, but I never... Never saw any intelligent rice. Uh, rice. And <laughs> You're going to say you read a lot of articles, but not a lot of intelligent writings. It's like, whoa. <laughs> no, I was going to say I've never read anything about intelligent 
rats. Well, I did uncover something very briefly. I did not look too much into it. But I guess nowadays, Nim is doing something similar to what happens in the book. And I don't know if that's just life imitating art. Interesting. And I don't know how successful it is. Yeah. But sure. There you go. Yeah. I'll say I haven't actually looked at any research from Nim in the last uh, decade or so. So I really don't know what they've they've been working on. Well, there wasn't a lot to find on the book. And even about Robert C. Mm O'Brien. So I, I, I tried... And I mean, I didn't try exhaustingly <laughs> to yeah. find. I didn't e- exhaust all of my methods of research, but there there really was not much to to find except reviews of the book, mm. I, I guess. Okay. But I did I did pull this about the book mm-hmm. from enotes.com. They say, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim examines issues of loyalty, independence, and courage, and debates the ultimate use of knowledge and science. The novel realistically shows both sides of issues and explores the strengths and weaknesses of the characters. Although the scientist of Nim and Jenner, who abandons his rat friends, serves as antagonists in the plot, they are not presented as starkly evil. Both their good and bad qualities are described. Everything from science to life at the Fitzgibbon farm is presented as helpful or harmful, depending on the use made of it. Thus, the novel examines some of the complexities of life where there are no simple solutions. To survive, characters must be courageous and independent, yet they must also learn to rely on others for help. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do have to say one reception that I found on more than one website Uh that I appreciate because this is actually kind of how I came to the book after reading it. And this is uh, from a children's author, John Rowe Townsend. He wrote, It seems to me that the fact that all the animals talk and behave intelligently from the beginning of the story distracts from the spectacular development of the laboratory rats. It is a pleasing book, but I find it mildly frustrating. It might have been something more than it is. No, I actually found that uh, it's a review, I believe, he did on the yeah. like, 25th anniversary. Some anniversary. Well, because the book won the Newbery Medal yes. the year after it came out. And I think he was reviewing books... That had one. Did that cross your mind when you were reading it? It did. Okay, for me it too. did. Well, I think we should say that if for those who have never read the book, I I, I hope you have, and if you haven't, why not go ahead and read it? I, <laughs> it's it's an easy read. Yes. But if you really don't care, I'll tell you now. The the rats of Nim, they were regular rats that were taken and tested on, basically, to lengthen their life, but also to make them super intelligent. Correct. And so they were able to become so intelligent that they could read and they could develop um, the scientific method and that they could escape from the laboratory. And then in their travels, they end up going and staying at this big house with a gigantic library and they just absorb all the knowledge they can until they try to settle their own civilization. Yeah. And then they eventually create create one which causes an ethical dilemma. Yeah. But the in reading it that I did to cross my mind. Well, now, I will say though, keeping in a con- uh, into consideration that this was written for kids, I'd be curious how many kids actually think that. Most of the time, I would say the age group that this was written for do not think that like, they don't they don't put all the logical inconsistencies together. I don't remember thinking that as a kid. 
So in rereading it as an adult, the thought did cross my mind, like, how are these other animals, what really separates them from the, the rats of Nim? And I kind of just let it go a little. I just, you know, it's it's part of, I, used to, I do that with a lot of contemporary uh, literature and movies where when it's the inconsistencies of the writing or whatever, you just have to let it go and stop thinking about it and just accept it for the fantasy that it is. Uh, in this case, though, there was a necessity of them all being able to talk and communicate. But when they're, and, and, and I think what he also kind of, tried to indicate was that certain animals are a little bit more intelligent than other animals to begin with and you see that in when they're talking to other animals and I, I remember when they, when Nicodemus is out in the woods and he's looking just going for walks and he's trying to find that uh, some place where men have not been he he talks to a squirrel and he's like the squirrel just they chatted at him briefly and then they, they acted silly and ran away and then the chipmunks were a little more friendly and soft but they still weren't able to help much and you see that a little bit and i think even with the crow jeremy jeremy there is a bit in there where they where he kind of mitigates that 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 kind of well how is he able to do this by saying crows have a little bit of intelligence based on I can't remember what part it was. I just remember his something about brain. yeah. And then he's like, but his brain is double her what what Mrs. Fris, Frisbee's size was, or something like that. So I think if, if I don't know if he if he, if the author, since unfortunately he passed away, you know, yeah, I think if he had lived longer, there would have been more interviews and yeah, and things, and there'd be probably be a lot more literature on the subject. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, like, the cat never talks. It's basically <laughs> a monster in the book. Mm-hmm. But you would imagine that that the cat would be at least on par in intelligence with the mice. I think that was the only evil in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a way, it was because even like, then, like he didn't play much of a threat because from the get go, he's pretty sleepy the whole time because the the rats have been drugging him. Well, once again, it, it was the threat of nature more than anything else. Uh, the I, natural... I don't know. I I feel like you're kind of underestimating kids' intelligence. Because I feel like I know a bunch of kids who would be, who would say things like, "Why can the shrew be all intelligent and and the rats are intelligent, but only the rats can help Miss Frisbee?" Like they wouldn't say intelligent as a Eight, kid. Eight, nine, but ten year olds. I don't. I, I, I've I've met some smart kids. I mean, I have two. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much, but it was <laughs> a little frustrating. Hmm. If you're talking to a kid who is analytical and who is already kind of in, along those lines, perhaps. I think, yeah, they, w- they might think a little bit about those type of things. I think most kids with imagination and things like that, if they're used to the fantastical or they're used to kind of those things which are outside the bounds of um, bounds of logic, they accept it for what it is and move on without even thinking about it. I, mean, I accept nothing. <laughs> no, but we also, you have to, I mean, keep in mind... Uh, how do I phrase this? Um, yeah, stall for time. No, I just don't want to insult people. <laughs> <laughs> wow, now I really want you to say it. <laughs> insult people. <laughs> well, I'll just say it, and maybe I'll edit it out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but keep in mind that when you look at what's created for the common denominator, they usually... The lowest common denominator? The lowest common denominator, they <laughs> normally reject boundaries you know and it's something it's like i said when i when i go to movies nine times out of ten i have to just push aside 
certain aspects of the writing or the uh, or the movie of the story just because whether it's fantastical or not sometimes it's just badly written in order to see whether I enjoy the movie for the product that it is and I think most people when they watch movies and read books the majority of people they're they're picking something up for entertainment not for analysis and I think once you've had some um, training in it, let's analyze. It's that. a little harder to do so. No, I'm serious. Because I think about like now, I after after reading a certain book, um, uh, reading a certain book that really actually, actually had nothing to do with movies, but the way he talked about movies and he talked about story and the hero's journey and things like that, I have never been able to watch a movie the same way since. Uh, and the same thing too. The other thing I've had to do, however, at the same time, because of what these large businesses, corporations, Disney, BBC, and other, you know, um, the way they're destroying properties and franchises, in order to continue enjoying things, I have to kind of, I have to let things go. And it's kind of like the new Star Wars movies. In watching them, even though in my heart, they may not be part of the, the you know, they, they, they destroyed a lot of stuff, uh, I enjoyed them for what they were. We can't make this into the Star Wars podcast. No, no, but it would very quickly go down that hole. <laughs> yes. So, but in much the same way, I think that's why I. You know, it would be interesting. Maybe, maybe we should. Maybe I should. I should start asking people around me what they what their opinions are. I don't know. I go back and forth with with kids' books. I think depending on the age level, it's geared towards. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about, you know, see dick run and all these random books mm-hmm. you know like, there's not much in them you're just teaching kids to read basically Correct. and understand yeah. concepts but in books like these these chapter books where they're actually telling stories and these kids are learning these 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 higher concepts i have issues with people just saying it's a kid's book it's fine it we can forgive these things because no it's a kid's but there's, book. there's a difference between saying it's a kid's book and there's major things that we need to just ignore i mean that i think he was just too focused on Robert C. O'Brien was too focused on these concepts of understanding, I don't know, humanity through these animals, essentially, Mm -hmm. and overcoming differences and working through these philosophical concepts. Mm -hmm. Because in the book, I mean, he loves the rats. When you first start reading this book, you think it's all about Mrs. Frisbee, and then you she starts to mean the rats, and then it's all of a sudden not about Miss Frisbee anymore. It's about all these rats. <laughs> yeah. Like, the book basically takes a break, and it's like, let me just tell you everything about these rats. Well, that's why they're in the title. There's literally... <laughs> there is literally a section in the book where she goes to the rats for help to move her home so that the plow doesn't kill, kill them, mm-hmm. where she, they literally take her to a room, and they're like... We're gonna be a while. We have to go get some things. Why don't you just say tight and we'll and we'll talk? I'm like okay, and then they just spend like five chapters just saying every possible thing about the rats. So I take it you didn't like that part. It just felt so pigeonholed. Like it didn't feel like it was two intertwined stories. It felt like here's Mrs. B- Mrs. Frisbee's story, and then oh, I really want to talk about these rats. Let me just really talk about these rats. See, I actually enjoyed that. I was uh, see, I did enjoy the whole uh, story within the story. I liked hearing about 
where they came from and, and what made them special. In fact, I, I even saw, I'll, like, I, I, I do agree with you. I, I feel that that was actually the main story. <laughs> Yeah, I and think he really wanted to talk about the rats, and and this was just his way it was, of talking it was the about book the rats. Ends. It was the bookend story, and I've seen that happen in in movies and other things where they have, they have kind of the bookend, but then there's the the kind of the main story. It's, it's wasn't like there was a Godfather uh, kind of like that. I want I don't I know actually if haven't seen any of the Godfathers. Oh, okay. So there, I I want to say there's a book, the second the uh, no millions of men everywhere is screaming at me right now. <laughs> Okay, I'm actually going to get this wrong. So I know in the second movie, I'm trying to remember how the books work and versus how the movies work. But there's one in which, so in the second movie or the second book, I, I don't remember how it works anymore. It's been a long time since I've read it. Mind. Well, because in the movie, it's very different. In the movie, <laughs> they... they are the, are the movies So this is what happened. The first one I know is. Oh, huh. And then I know there is the Godfather additional books, but I... I I don't remember supplementary material. It, no, but like other stories. And so I from this is kind of how I remember it is that the second Godfather movie you have the main story but then there's a little sub story in the middle that they don't expound on. However, they did for uh, make that sub little tiny story into a separate movie, but for copyright reasons they changed a lot of stuff. In the book, I want to say that I want to say that in the book that they were both there together. Oh, I don't remember now. Now I'm, if, if I'm it getting this wrong, yeah, yeah, it, it I, I can look really it up later. And if anyone wants to correct me on this, feel free to send uh, send a, an email. But we'll I, give you no. Email I know it was called the Sicilian. I know the middle section they made into a movie. I think one was called the Sicilian. But that's basically kind of the same idea here, where they never mess with a Sicilian other... when death is on the line. I have no idea what that's from. It's from the Princess Bride. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. The, the only rule. <laughs> <laughs> the only rule that everybody knows is never start a land war in Asia. <laughs> I don't think there's an adaptation of that one. There is. Oh yeah, it's a yeah, the booking offers. That's right. We need to talk about that one well, because they're very list. different. I've never read the book though. I'll have to. It's very it. interesting. Really? I don't want to talk about it now because we need to talk about yes. it as a podcast episode. I'm gonna take a drink of water. I will allow it. Can you? Can you drink your water louder into the microphone, though? Did that sound loud? I don't. I don't know. I'm not gonna try. <laughs> I mean, you could have made it louder. No, nah, I'm good. Okay, but I mean, it was fine. <clears throat> I got over it. I think my biggest grief with the book is there just seemed to be no real conflict. Like it was. It was. Mrs. Frisbee. Yeah. Wakes up and she knows she needs to move her house because the plow is going to be coming. But her son Timmy is sick with pneumonia, and he can't be moved because he's sick and so her problem is how do i move the house with him in it or how do i stop the plow and she can't stop the plow so now she has to figure out how to move her house or timmy dies or they all die but the problem is everything she tries works out fine like she goes and she meets mr ages the the other other mouse who gives medicine Mm -hmm. and and that works out fine he's nice to her and then she goes and she helps Jeremy the crow who's stuck. And then the cat starts coming, but then they take off and they nothing happens. And so Jeremy ends up taking her and telling her about the owl. And so she goes to the owl. And so, I mean, are you saying that it was too 
like it there was no real conflict every time she had to try something like nobody really said no you can't do this okay but there were no obstacles but the obstacles were with the rats there really weren't that many though like she had a hard time getting no 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 not her her i think your your see to me the book was i agree with you the book was about the rats of nim and to me that they were the most interesting part of the book her sure. story was but honestly hers is the main conflict of the story do we know that it's the main conflict that's presented to you at the beginning and so maybe, it's the one maybe that you he care wrote about in the a, most in a, at first uh, yeah perhaps i mean because you don't know about the rats until about halfway through the book basically you know they exist but other yeah than that and i know it's for kids and that's fine but like everything she did she she met no conflict she met no obstacles and if she met an obstacle that's why i think it, it was, was a really quickly it was a bookend story and and i didn't like it i'm just gonna say it okay okay i did i liked i liked the the middle of the story the middle the sandwich part more the middle of the sandwich more than but I even with the, the rats like if the focus was on the rats they really didn't have much conflict because their biggest conflict is that nim is coming the next day and it's like oh okay well i guess we'll leave now and at the end of the story like one or two rats did die in the process but mm-hmm. like they just don't dwell on it much uh, what what did you read earlier where i can't remember from the good was it goodreads or wherever it was more about you talking about the novel realistically shows both sides of issues and explores the strengths and weaknesses of the characters yeah it, it it's definitely it's definitely trying to open up the the subject matter of how to work together and and even though you see differently from each other how you can work together mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and i think for me it was ref- maybe it's because i'm so used to seeing the same formula all the time that it was it was slightly refreshing to hear a slightly different story in which and you know, I'll be honest. Normally, I, that's not my type of story. Uh, I like the hero's journey. I like watching the overcoming of adversity, stuff like that. Yeah, but it get, it's kind of old hat. Like everybody's done it. Exactly. So this one is a little bit different, in which that was kind of thrown away. I, I just feel like there wasn't much growth. There wasn't. There really wasn't much to overcome. Like they weren't challenged that much. Well, a, Most of the story was told I'm, retrospectively. I, true but it, I'll, I'll throw out your favorite sentiment it is a kid's book <laughs> i agree to disagree <laughs> i think he could have done better i think his focus was less on storytelling and more on aren't these rats interesting what Probably. if rats were intelligent yeah i mean i think that was kind of the point of it yeah and i appreciated it and it's fine you know he does what he wants to do and it's a good book like i think kids can learn a lot from it and and i think it it challenges kids to to think more for themselves and i think i think the book mrs frisbee and the rats of nim i think it 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 can open up conversations for kids to agreed you know how how to live their lives and how to work together Mm -hmm. and how to peacefully disagree and whatnot part of the point was not everyone's going to agree with you and sometimes you have to let them go sure and continue on sure 
And I think I am used to, you know, movies and books that have a lot of character growth and having to overcome challenges to prove that they know what they know and so on and so forth. And and that's not in this. No. Uh, yeah. And there's not a lot of... Yes. It's not a... a... All the character development for, like, the rats mm-hmm. has already happened. True. It's more of an intellectual growth. <laughs> yeah. And Mrs. Frisbee's pretty flat. Like, she doesn't... She's, she's relatively strong, but... Like, she doesn't, like, when she's stuck in a cage because she was trapped mm-hmm. putting the the sleeping powder in the cat's food, mm-hmm. when she was caught and put in the birdcage, she couldn't get out. And Justin, the captain of the guard of the rats, had to save her. And I don't, I don't know. I think that's something the movie does better. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Yes, uh, they do. I But I, I maybe, I'm a little bit tired of that. And so... It was nice to see people working. I liked. I like. It was more realistic. Sure. And how things would really be despite what they they try to teach us today. Yeah. And I I appreciated that. I appreciated seeing uh, them working together. Lest we forget that the only reason the rats helped her is because her late husband had helped them. Otherwise, they probably would never have helped her. And, and that's realistic, too. I mean, because I, I, I will say there were some times when I was reading the book, I'm like, I, I did think to myself how harsh certain aspects of it were. <laughs> but I felt that that's how real life is. And and in turn, though, it's it's the, the rats weren't altruistic. They did, like you said, they did it because of who her husband was. But then it also brings up other conversations, I think, as readers or with children we could have is you know I, I think he wrote it in a way in which they weren't all good but they weren't evil either it was they, they were, were pretty neutral they were neutral but and that's how a lot of people in life are a lot they, you know, i think a lot of people are i mean i think about how many times we could offer assistance and we don't i mean i try to but i know i'm, I'm sure i could do better most of us i'm sure in life can and I, I don't think that was his main message, but no, it's something that can be pulled out of it. It just, it's not the type of literature that I prefer. Mm, yeah, I think I it's that. fine for what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think it opens the door for a lot. Another question I would have, but I, I don't know if you know this, is I'm curious to see what other literature from this era was like for children. The early 70s? Yeah. In a time when things were changing, a lot of you know it was after the 60s but there was still a lot of i know you had like the nancy true and the hardy boys from the mixed up files of mrs basil whatever which was a good book i like that one did you read that one no oh it's a good one (laughs) it's about kids who run away from home and then end up living in the museum yeah i've never i don't think i've heard of that one (laughs) i loved that as a kid anyways no you know it's fine i and i see i can understand why it's taught in schools Mm -hmm. i know why it's it's given to kids to read as assignments I think it does well for what it's trying to do. I just wanted more, personally. Okay. okay. I think it was capable of more, and it chose not to, which is a valid decision. Yeah. yeah. But I walked I walked away from it wishing there was more. 
I do have to say my favorite stupid conflict moment of this book <laughs> is when Justin saves Mrs. Frisbee and then he's like, we need your help really quick. We're trying to move your house and we can't. We need you. And then <laughs> they get there and it's literally just the shrew being like, you guys can't do this. We don't trust you. And she's like, how do I know you, did, you didn't do something with Mrs. Frisbee? And then she appears and she's like, everything's fine. And she's like, oh, okay. And then they just move her house. And, that, and it was like, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I, yeah. This random character who just walked by. I, did, I appreciated that she was looking out for Mrs. Frisbee, but they built it up as like, we need you. There's something happening at your house. And then it's just like, oh, okay. Did you read any of what the, the scientist, it was loosely, ba- like he kind of inspired this, this. Did you read what his research was? I didn't look into it. <clears throat> okay. Did you? I did. Great. And so John B. Calhoun, uh, let's see here. He was ethologist it says here this is from i pulled it from wikipedia the most reliable source i know uh yeah it was <laughs> so um it is wikipedia so take it with a grain of salt grain of salt although they are a lot better than they used to be that's yeah very true so a lot of what he looked into with my, his mice experiments was in regards to urbanization and overcrowding and a lot of it had to do with uh, the social structure and the or the breakdown of social structure as population in urban areas uh, explode. Interesting. So what he would do is he would put mice. I, I I'm not sure if he did rats as well, but I know he definitely did mice. He put. I know he did. So I'll, I won't read it. But the mice experiment was essentially. You don't want to read the five pages you printed out? No, I read them. Right yes, there. listeners. He chose to <laughs> print out everything. Instead I, I, of looking it up on his phone. Oh, no, I don't get reception. That's why. And besides, I actually don't like looking things up on my phone. I have Wi-Fi here. I'll have to, I'll have to ask you for the password. What is it? Tell me right now and I'll re- say it out loud? Yes. No, just kidding. Nobody knows where I live. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Our listeners start showing up, connecting to your Wi-Fi. And anyway. Yes, why is my Wi-Fi <laughs> bugged down? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Why are there 12 cars outside? And so what I, I know he did, maybe I will read it here, is there was a mouse experiment in which he put down, I put down, he created the, this this environment where he put the, the mice in. They were fed, taken care of. And I want to say he put like five or no, sorry, four mice or eight mice or something in there. And then the population started exploding until there was like, it was enough room for maybe eight i don't know uh, 600 I mean, mice breed like crazy yeah so, so the pop the population reached 620 by day 314 oh, there's it by day three i was like oh my gosh oh no no so the habitat was a nine foot square metal pen with 4.4 4.5 foot high sides each, 4.4. each side had four <laughs> groups of four vertical wire mesh tunnels uh there was Tunnels gave access to nesting boxes, food hoppers, and water dispensers. There was no shortage of food or water or nesting material. There were no predators. The only adversity was limit on space. And let's see. The last surviving birth was on day 600, bringing the total population to mere 2,200 mice. Basically, as it says, this period between day 315 and day 600 saw a breakdown in social structure and in normal social behavior. So as as I was reading, you know, and he goes on from there and it talks about how they 
Some of the aberrations in behavior included the expulsion of young before weaning was complete, wounding of young, inability of dominant males to maintain the defense of their territory and females, aggressive behavior of females, and the passivity of non-dominant males with increased attacks on each other, which were not defended against. So I'm really curious, and unfortunately, since he passed away before we could find out more about his thinking in the book, I'm, I'm really curious to see how much of the what he was reading and what he was into at that time um, influenced his his uh, writing of the book. And I'll say that, like you said, he had a message to get across. After reading a little bit about Calhoun's experiments and some of what his research was into, it made sense in reading the book. It was more along the lines of uh, a very simple polemic on urbanization and the structure of society. Uh, it was kind of, I even saw it in when Jenner and the other rats, they had to turn, you know, they, they, in order to survive, they had, they were relying on stealing cause it was easier. And I was just thinking about some of the, you know, some of the, the conclusions he came out with in this, in the experiment. Yeah. I did find it interesting. I know that in the book, the rats read like literally all the books in this gigantic library in a mansion mm-hmm. that was left alone in the winter or something. But they develop a conscience, essentially, mm-hmm. and morals, kind of. Yeah, and it 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 made me it made me wonder: is that all from the books that they read, or or did, did that somehow come with their growth of intelligence? Because I feel like that's something that you have to learn. You know, a con getting having a conscience and having moral standards and values. Mm-hmm. I feel like that had to have come from the books. Because the main argument of of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim is, is it okay to... St- well, the argument between the rats is, is it okay for us to have the civilization and be stealing things from the farmer? Stealing yeah. his electricity, stealing his food, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They, they argue back and forth on if that's okay or not. And then eventually, by the end of the story, most of them go off to Thorn Valley. Mm-hmm. And they create their own society where they live off the land... And they're self-sufficient, and yeah. they're not stealing things from each other, even though they know it'll be tough for a while when they they're getting it going. But I don't know. It just I was just wondering where did that come from? Like, just because you're intelligent, it doesn't mean you're a good person. It doesn't mean that you start thinking philosophically. They can only have gotten it from the books that they were reading. Well, before that, so before they got to the estate, they were there was a couple times when they were already kind of questioning. I think he he kind of alludes to the the idea that they were already they were already thinking about that. That might be something like in his mind. I don't know. You know, we don't know. Unfortunately, uh, as the author, was he thinking of it that morals are kind of ingrained in us, and then once we become educated, that's when we decide. Because because then you think of Jenner. He was just as educated right. as were his followers, but they decided to go a different. I'll be honest. A lot of time I'm reading this and I'm thinking Marxism versus capitalism versus neo-Marxism versus post-Marxism. All that, all of the stuff that. All those big words. All those. It also brought kind of the, no, you're, I think, well, I know you're a history major. Are you, I, I don't know as much regarding Jefferson, kind of the Jeffersonian way of thinking, but it was more agri- agrarian, wasn't it? versus My focus urban. is more on European history. So from any of your classes, do you remember? 
we didn't really go into okay. that. Okay. So literally I, my focus If any on of our if any of you our listeners know anything about this, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I can tell you a great deal about <laughs> about Europe. So, but my understanding is that the Federalists were more urban, northern, banking, all that other stuff, and then you had the Jeffersonians, which were more southern, agrarian, that type of way of life. And I mean, that was how it was in America for a very long time and even kind of to this day. Yeah. And and I, I'm wondering how much of that thought, because I, I know you can read the Marxist capitalist thing in it, but I felt that was not quite where he was intending it to go. But it was more the agrarian versus the urban, which would fit with Calhoun's experiments and the stuff that he was looking at. It's into. not like we were reading Animal Farm. <laughs> True. Different story for another time did they make that no we don't think they made it into a movie did, did they yeah okay so i don't know if do i want that. to talk about that <laughs> i think there'd be way too much to talk about <laughs> we can do it's not very uplifting <laughs> <laughs> we'll see um we'll talk about it another time well was there anything else that you want to talk about in regards to the book well yeah no i mean i i I'm curious in your thoughts on that, what about um, urban versus rural and, and his takes on the, on that stuff. Cause I, I know that in the book, the rats leave the city and they find, they, they know that they need to find an area that's suitable for them. But do you think it was a, a polemic as simple as it was against urbanization and over-reliance on, on comfort? He does bring it up. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was a main concern for him. I, I He does address it, but I don't think it was his focus. Um, he does he does address a few different things in the book. Um, you don't think it was tied to the stealing aspect? I'll have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't really thought about that. You and I, we I, I think we read the books very differently. <laughs> we, we do, yes. When I, I read it, I read it all the way through the first time just to enjoy it. Oh, okay. And I don't really think critically that much of it the first time I read through it. It's not until after the first read that I usually start looking at it with an analytical eye. Yeah. Usually. Sometimes I, I read something the first time and I'm like, this is crap. This is terrible. <laughs> Dan Brown. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but no, the I think for me, the reason it, it stuck with me a lot was because of my past experiences last year. You know, everyone was going through COVID and the world was shutting down. I was going out. I was enjoying life. I was hiking, camping, doing whatever I could get, I could do. I was even going to the beach and evading security and cops at night, you know, just so I could enjoy nature. It was nice. What it was really doing? nice. <laughs> beach patrol. Why did you need to evade cops? Because they had, remember, they had the stupid Oh, no, I, I, it, was, it was, there was a lot of stupid things that were happening. Yes. I and, was living down in Newport at that time. Oh, that's right. And they were shutting down all the beaches and literally we were all mad because nobody was on those beaches yes and and so i i i really started exploring uh theodore roosevelt's kind of his idea regarding the strenuous life and what that looks like stuff like that we talked about it yeah i know of this and so when i'm reading the book that's very for in my forefront the the ending is very much was very much you my see, this is what i'm talking about because the book he's so in a good way i guess but he's so casual <laughs> about all this like i just feel like it, it's difficult to know exactly what he's trying to tell you which i guess is part of the point because he wants you just to open up to conversation no i agree and i think as the author i think in some ways maybe i'm, I'm having to we're having to guess we, we are unfortunately 
uh, he passed away. This uh, just in, soon. he's giving me a call beyond the grave <laughs> because he knows we're making an episode. <laughs> that, would, that would be weird but awesome at the same time. I was, this is... <laughs> continue please okay and so i was a lot of that like i said was on my mind as i was thinking about it but as as um i'm wondering that as the author was he kind of putting these messages in for kids to to just think about or plant in their mind much the same way as a lot of contemporary kid shows and books do a lot of that or maybe they used to i don't watch them anymore my my thing is a lot of what he put in the books felt mm-hmm. almost like they were throwaways that it was difficult for me to really dwell on them mm. because he brings them up randomly and then never talks about them again. Like it's in the background essentially. Yeah. But it was difficult for me to really focus on, on things like what you're saying mm-hmm. because for me, I was just like, can we just get back to the conflict of the story? Like I'm really, okay so that now for me that was the most interesting part of the book i really could care less about mrs frisbee and her but you see for for me like that's (laughs) that's all that we've known in the book up to this point like we're rooting for her Hmm. like we want her family to be safe we don't want her son to die have you read the lord of the rings i like lord of the rings i love the lord of the rings one of my favorite books i enjoy really enjoy the movies I'm more fascinated with the supplemental material. I don't want to say even more, but it's kind of what my focus was even afterwards. And I really didn't come back to the main focus of the books until the movies were made when I re-explored and I appreciated the the main story better. Same thing was like, um, I was the type of kid to, I loved, I, I, as a nerd, I loved Star Trek. Which one? Uh, all of them. Up until, to me, Star Trek until enterprise is real star trek anything post enterprise is horrible i like the next generation but i they are really difficult to get through they are now when i i was this is what i can't remember when the next gen came out it had to be the 80s i was was, i vaguely remember 87 and i remember i would go to church on wednesdays and then i was always wednesday night service and then we would i would rush home as soon as i could for it was i'm not sure if it was eight or nine so i could catch next gen and I remember, like, I loved the world building. To me, that was even more fascinating than sometimes the episodes themselves. Okay, this is super nerdy, but I would I had notebooks because no internet back then. And I would keep track of all the planets they visited. I would keep <laughs> track of uh, the uh, different starship names, things like that. So the, the world building to me is always what's fascinating. I was just thinking of Homer. <laughs> Nerd! <laughs> yes, I've gotten that before. That's okay. I, I, I feel like I've done that, but not with Star Trek. <laughs> I I did not... To this, I'm still not quote-unquote into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate Star Trek. Most people are not into it, I've only really only watched episodes of The Next Generation. Okay. I have been told I would like some of the later ones. I, I think I've told you myself, didn't Maybe. I? Maybe. Deep Space Nine? Always. Maybe. I was told once that That's I was... my favorite. Someone reminded me of... I reminded someone of one of the captains in the later ones. I don't know. Probably the curly hair guy. I don't know. <laughs> Which is funny because I don't huh. have curly hair. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> it no, doesn't matter. It does, yeah. But it's... it's To me, the world building was more important. Was always the more and exciting I part I love world building. And I guess... 
technically mm-hmm. the rat story is world building. <laughs> yeah, it is. But maybe okay. I, I I'll agree with. Let's see. So I agree with a lot of what you've said. I probably want. I almost want to say I almost agree with every. Uh, not every statement, but a lot of what you've said. But I do see things a lot differently, and yes. I appreciate enjoy different aspects of it. I think you and I both it. agree with each other. Our preferences are different. Yes, and I think perhaps Mrs. Frisbee could have been written a lot better. And not even just Mrs. Frisbee, but like the rats themselves, because it seems like he did really well with opening the door to these conversations yeah. and explaining these concepts, but. I just feel like they weren't. You never see them challenged. No, I agree, I, and I, I, I. It goes back to I think what you said before about the but message like, being a little bit more, a lot more important than the the character is. But even that bit with like Jenner disagreeing with them, yeah. it all happens before the book starts. Yeah. So you never really see firsthand the issue, like the the arguments they would have had, or the conflict that would have come with the disagreements. Mm-hmm. Like it's just briefly addressed. Like, and we had some disagreements, and they left. And uh, we're we're two different types of nerds right i would say i'm geeky but sure yeah well that that's another subject uh i i differentiate between geek and nerd um and i would love to know how to differentiate those (laughs) i actually have pictures i can uh, pictures don't work on a podcast i know well that's i don't know if i maybe i'll post them for our our listeners listeners. but that's another another topic for another podcast actually actually my my I'm going to plug in my other podcast, K&R Crew, with uh, me and my daughter, Kat. We actually have a podcast coming up in which we'll be talking about the difference between geek and nerd. So I'll, maybe I'll somehow tie the things together for our listeners. Now, we're we're both nerdy. Would you agree? Sure. But we're different types of nerds. Yes. Okay. I'm a very normal nerd. <laughs> you wouldn't really know I was nerdy. I, I, I'm more geeky. I just surprised you with how much I know. <laughs> yeah, no, you know a lot. It's yeah, no, and I, I like I told said I think in a previously, not to underestimate all your knowledge, um, plus your interest. I will say you've yet to lead me astray on uh, interests of uh, of um, what would this be? Entertainment. Yeah, artistic artistic stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yes, but in this case. We saw the book and things in the book for each of us were different because of the type of nerdy nerds that you know we what are. The book felt like to me, it didn't feel like a story. It felt like insights. Yeah, does yeah. that make sense? No, it does. I, I get that. It didn't feel like it I was meant that. to be a story. It meant it feels like it. It was like a what if, like okay, yeah. what would this look like, and how would it play out conceptually. And it, it felt almost as if the book itself was made in a laboratory. Does that make sense? Yes. Do you like what if stories? It depends. Historical what ifs? It depends. Okay. Sometimes they're a little trite. But Okay. See, I I love what if stuff. I always have since I was a kid. I I do, but sometimes sometimes people write them and they're just dumb. I'm not going to lie. I, I Actually, now I'm curious to see which ones you would think are done. Well, there was a book I picked up because growing up, I loved the Titanic. And to this okay. day, I still love ships, especially older ships. And there was a book I found at the bookstore. I do not remember the name of it. I was so interested in this book when I saw it at Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Because on the cover, it's the Titanic 
but it's going past the Statue of Liberty. Interesting. But in the reflection in the water, it's going past the iceberg. Mm. And I instantly was like, what is this book? I need to know. It never went to New York. (laughs) And so I opened it up and I was looking at the back and it was this idea of what if someone could travel back in time and stop the ship from sinking? Mm -hmm. Like what would happen? And I was like, I'm in. I want to read this. Yeah. And I started reading it. But first of all, it was really confusing. And I mean, full disclosure, I never finished it. Okay. I got about halfway through and I gave up. But I had to muscle through to the halfway point. Mm. But hopefully later in the book, maybe it got better and it explained yeah. itself. But it was this idea of this guy going back and constantly trying to change things so that they survived. But by making them survive, it was almost as if, like, what if the Nazis and the Japanese won World War Two? Hmm. And I, I, again, didn't finish the book. Yeah. But I don't understand how they were connected true and he could have just been a horrible author or yes like the concept was interesting yeah and i really again maybe it explained itself better but okay because most of the what ifs i've read have been from one like i think all the fictional what ifs have been from one author harry turtle dove that sounds like you made it up no (laughs) <laughs> that's his i don't know if that's his real name I'm or thinking not of, but... i'm thinking of home alone 2 lost in new york <laughs> turtle doves oh that's right i remember that scene i get two <laughs> well two turtle doves <laughs> and he gives one to the bird lady yes yes uh I no i never realized that he gives a bird to a bird lady <laughs> <laughs> how have i never noticed that <laughs> that's kind of mean <laughs> Yeah, or symbolic, I guess. Oh, thank you, Kevin. <laughs> well, once again, hidden. it's a kid doing it. You're reading too much into a kid, kid's actions. No, kid's I love novels. that movie. No, I yeah. love that movie. And so, I all my most of my historical alternative stuff have stemmed from this one author, where he did all. Granted, that he did some really fantastical stuff. Mr. Turtle Dove. H- Harry Turtle Dove. Oh my gosh, I can't. And <laughs> and um, he even did some short stories. Uh, and I really appreciated some of the stuff he did. A lot of it was, some of them were just thought provoking. Like a, it was a one story about this one. I don't know if it was his alternate history, but it was like, what if scientists create a pig that does not has a split hoof, hoof and choose the cud, so it meets. It's still a pig, but now it meets the criteria for being kosher. Is it kosher? Or is it not? Who wakes up one day and, and says, I need to write a book about what if a pig was kosher? <laughs> it, it was a fascinating... Is it like a Jewish person that really wants bacon? Well, no, it was the ethical dilemma. Because <laughs> it, it, it and there was a whole ethical dilemma behind it, and the rabbi had to decide no, what his I'm decision was going to be. I'm more interested in why they thought they wanted to write this. <laughs> no, the, because of the ethical dilemma, the religious ethical dilemma, and kind of how... It, it was a really good short story. And another one was um, a cop who lives in a world in which... Or a detective. I think it was a PI who lives in a world in which alternate universes have been discovered. And it kind of explored the nihilism that could come with that kind of... Uh, it had to follow... How can we always go back to nihilism in this show? I don't know. Because that's a very predominant philosophy in our world today. Okay. And so I am I find myself, like you, drawn to that. But because I haven't... I guess I didn't I didn't take the book that seriously. Well, but it was still that kind of idea of like... I, I mean, I'll be honest. As a former student of psychology i was thinking a lot about the brain and 
animals and i there was a part of me that wanted to but didn't have time to start thinking about the you know what would that yeah, ethics this felt, be the like book felt more like a research paper possibly i mean he, he might he honestly he might have read a research paper from calhoun and then went and wrote this book that's what it felt like to me yeah it felt almost as if he was analyzing like if this had actually happened mm-hmm. and then he had to write a research like a like a doc uh, what is it uh, a dissertation yes yeah, a dissertation yeah. like it almost feels like it was a dissertation does that make sense it does actually now that, I, that you mentioned yeah. it in in a weird it, it feels a, like a it, narrative dissertation yes, which it, it, he, he he dumbed down a dissertation for kids that's what it was that's interesting because i actually sorry slight tangent i actually wrote a paper once that was very narrative and i i got thrown out for being too, too narrative. narrative yes because they wanted something boring and um and no academia and academic so i'm in a class right now and it's a comparative government course and oh my gosh it is so dry <laughs> i sit down to read that stuff and it's like 32 pages for each article i have to read and it's like five articles for every essay i have to read and my gosh i'm just dying the whole time <laughs> i'm like i don't know how i can digest this let it alone write an essay on this and i think maybe that's was his idea was he you know it could be that he liked the article he read have something to say and decided i need to give it to kids because (laughs) kids will pay attention they're the future i mean come on that's everyone i am now i am now sure that that is exactly what happened (laughs) he thought to himself i have glaucoma i can't write a dissertation i am going to write a kid's book you know what I, I'm, I'm I'm leaning with you i'm sticking with it i i might have to agree with you on that one so it makes sense all right. Well, okay. What was your favorite thing about the book before we talk about the movie? It was the story of the rats. That was my favorite thing. Just their history. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was watching their and their ethical dilemmas. I was my favorite. Are you shaking your head no because that you don't? That was your least favorite. It was fine. <laughs> I was so much more focused on Mrs. Frisbee. Mm. I. Because literally up to up to that point, <laughs> it was. How am I saving my family? I really need to save my family. It's like, go, go, go. I want to reassure my kids they're not going to die, basically. And then she goes to the rats, and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll help you. Don't worry. Just sit here (laughs) for a while, and we'll tell you a story for a very long time. It's fine. (laughs) And it's like, the pace just died. And it was, I don't know. I grew grew up in theater (laughs) and reading all the time, and my i loved analyzing movies and whatnot so for me like i'm really into characterization and the development of the character and and overcoming conflict even even if it doesn't follow the standard formula of plot did you read uh dictionaries and encyclopedias growing up not for pleasure okay see i think that's a big difference between us did you do that (laughs) i loved sitting reading the dictionary why why I found the the etym- is it the etymology is that the right word? Etymology is the root of the words. Yes. yes. So I found the etymology of words fascinating. No, I mean it's interesting. I, I think I told you recently my my dream collection of books is the Oxford English Dictionary, all twenty one volumes. Oxford, not Webster. Uh, no, Oxford English. I would love to get an original reproduction. I think it was thirteen volumes. Okay, wait. It's not an original if it's a reproduction. I mean, the original version, the first edition. Let me rephrase that. I would love to get the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary. All thir- I think it was 13 volumes. But I would also love to get a contempor- uh, current, the current, I think it's 21 or 22 volumes long. 
The thing I had to come to terms with in regards to the dictionary is this idea that language grows and adapts and changes and whatnot. I don't like that either, but... I have had to come to terms with that because I'm so systematic. No, I agree with you on that part, but I actually... I, that's why I loved reading it was I felt that there was so much richness to our language that we were missing. I, I agree with that, but I also don't derive pleasure from just randomly reading the dictionary. Yeah, no, no, that's that's next. That's our ner- our nerdy differences. And the My other thing was, was I like research because I'll be reading something like I'll read like I when I was reading Crime and Punishment, mm-hmm. I didn't understand a cultural reference, so I looked it up. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense now that I know that. Yeah. Or the, a word came up, and I was, I was, what is this word? So mm-hmm. then I, I, I have the dictionary app on my phone, and I look it up, and I think, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I can actually use that today. Remember, I grew. I wondered what I that grew up in, a, was. in the ancient era before cell phones and internet, and I mean, I, I also, had a I also was in the true, but I, I, I also lived where. In the very fine suburb. <laughs> I, lived, I lived in the ghetto. No, I'm just kidding. I have two blocks away. That joke and is just going to get worse with time. <laughs> it will. And there were times when like there a wasn't... a from the city. <laughs> I do love the city of Rosemead. Kind of. We need more restaurants. Anyway. <laughs> um, so there, we, there was not... It wasn't often that we could go to the, to the library. And so oftentimes I remember when my dad had his, his... It was a science. It was like... I mean, the name of the, of the series was Science. And Cyclop- science I, I don't think rules. it was an encyclopedia or something like that, but like the science book set. I want to say he got it in college. Uh, and the other one was we had an encyclopedia set. And mm-hmm. when there was nothing on TV, because after you know a certain time in the morning, especially during the summer, there was nothing on TV. And then the poltergeist would come. <laughs> That's at night, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> after the no, national I meant, anthem. No, I meant after, let me rephrase that. There was still stuff on TV, but nothing for kids. Got it. So after the morning cartoons and shows were over, especially on super hot days, most of the time I'd go out and play with my cousins or with my toys or whatnot. But there were other times when after the morning cartoons were over, I wanted to read. So I would pull out his his dictionary or his um, my dad's um, science books or the other ones, and I would just – I learned. I would just read article after article, and I found them fascinating. Mm. And that's that was – that was entertainment for me. So I need to stop you now. I need to backtrack mm-hmm. because I know that our listeners and I really need to know your differences between what you consider nerdy and geeky. <laughs> oh, I don't have anything up in front of uh You don't have it off the top of your head? I do. I, I have the picture in my head, but I, I haven't actually written it out. That's a future podcast with, with Kat, so I haven't fleshed it out yet. Basically, uh, a nerd... So I grew up nerdy, and for me, a nerd was someone in st- who loves Star Trek. Someone who they play, perhaps say D and D or things like that, but they love the mechanics of it. I would even say there's you know a lot of there's a lot of sports nerds. They're the ones who can rattle off the statistics. It's basically the people data. who know an extensive amount of a specific thing. Yes, and they know the data aspect of it. They know the history for. So I, I I could tell you there was a time when I could tell you a lot of the history of like for instance Star Wars. Star Wars is a geeky thing, but 
it's nerdy if you know a lot of the historical so aspects. Basically, of it. professors are nerds. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, there, there is an overlap of the two, especially in these days. I think you heard it first, folks. But professors are nerds. <laughs> Most of them are, uh, you know, and I, I would say there's actually a lot of sports nerds, though they would never call themselves that either. I know a lot of baseball nerds, and yeah, I'm related to one of them. Oh, really? <laughs> I can't say who. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, well, I mean, and, and it's the reason why, like, the one time I I was invited to play, um, what's that fantasy football? I can't think of the name. What is that fantasy football? <laughs> no, I was gonna say I forgot the name of it for a sec, but I was invited to play fantasy football. I I know enough about the rules. I can watch a game. I love being invited to parties. I like the social aspect of, of football parties. But I could care less about the game. I, uh, that's not 100% true. I do enjoy college football for some odd reason. I like baseball and hockey. That is basically it. I, it as a sports, baseball and soccer for me mm. are my two favorite. Unless I'm watching Ted Lasso, then no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, those are the only two I really, I really enjoy. Football really don't care about but i was invited to join a a fantasy football league and i loved it i didn't care about the players i didn't care about the teams to be honest i got to put my team together with statistics and i remember i missed the draft where you pick where they i don't know how that works but i missed it and so i ended up stuck with whoever was left and i remember i just spreadsheet everything did you know some calculations and I, when I was watching, I, I, I kept track of injuries and other things like that. And I know a lot of my, my I think it was my coworkers, uh, they also were playing as well. And they were picking their favorite teams. They were picking players they know, whatever. That to me was unimportant. You I, actually really paid attention. I did because my nerdiness took over and I loved that whole, I loved, I was able to create a spreadsheet. People know that I have spreadsheets for most of my video games. And that just sounds like torture to me. <laughs> I mean, if I would have had spreadsheets back with Star Trek, I would have been awesome versus the tons of notebooks I had with all my data. I need to see pictures of you as a kid. <laughs> uh, Were you just like any. Urkel like, as a kid? No, <laughs> no. Well, okay. My, my favorite uh, outfit back in the... I remember... I don't remember how old I was. Maybe 10 or 11. I remember... Or even 8. I don't remember. I just remember going to Monterey Bay Aquarium. I was wearing a dinosaur t-shirt with like the outline of a, I think it was a T-Rex with you know Tyrannosaurus right here and this is before Jurassic Park it was before Jurassic Park I had kind of uh, red and blue shorts kind of a tie-dye shorts on yeah this was the 80s <laughs> socks up to my knees and I'm sure I had tennis shoes or some sort of bands or something on and a swatch <laughs> I don't think I had watches yet at no, that a point no a swatch a swatch a Swiss watch yeah i didn't have uh, anything like that at that point it was a specific thing they were popular oh i was where did i live i I know more about the 80s than you and i didn't live in the 80s (laughs) i was a kid i only know what was in my neighborhood actually yeah and i wasn't even a thought in my parents brains (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure i had a bowl haircut i'm pretty sure at that point either that or had a. okay i need this picture now i'll have to look for it you need to show me this picture i was the first time i became self-aware because i remember like a how I looked because I remember there was a cute girl at the aquarium uh, at the aquarium and I realized I look I kind of looked at how I looked and how some of the other boys were dressed and I immediately became self-conscious and I remember hiding behind my parents <laughs> so she wouldn't see me and, and you were eight I was like eight or nine I think got it that is, that is about the right age I think where you start to become aware of how you look yeah and after that I still 
after that, I didn't care as much for a little while longer. It wasn't until Great. 12. My mom, on the other hand, was always trying to dress us in the latest stuff. And I remember looking back at pictures, and at, I, I, I do a lot of theater design work and nothing professional or anything, mm-hmm. but I love research. I love history, so I'm always looking at like what came out in what time period and mm. what fits where. I'm always trying to make sure I'm not anachronistic unless I'm purposefully trying to be anachronistic. <laughs> but, um, you know, steampunk and whatnot. But um, I remember looking at pictures of my brother and I as kids, and then obviously later my sister, and, and looking at our outfits and going, wow, these these were these were in style. Like, this this was what <laughs> most people would have worn. Like, this yeah. is pretty good. And my, mom's, my mom flat out one day said, yeah, I cared about how you looked. <laughs> <laughs> But there are some great 90s pictures of my brother and me as little, little kids. And you just know they're the 90s because it's like we're either in overalls or we're in vests or (laughs) I mean, I wear vests still now, but (laughs) I basically reverted to the 90s kid. (laughs) Yeah, I don't Um, No overalls now, though. I don't think I could pull off overalls. Yeah, I won't talk about my 90s style. I was a little bit. I, I fit. Back to, what was that? Not Back to the Future. What was that one show? Uh, Say by the Bell. The early 90s. Yes. I did kind of dress a little bit like they did at that point Bayside. in high school and junior high. Or, sorry, middle school. But, no. And, and so, going back to our geek and, and nerd thing, uh, that was that's nerdy aspect. Geek, on the other hand, uh, it derives from freak. Does it? It Okay. Actually, it doesn't. It, it, it does. It does. Uh, from what I remember. Hold on. Wait, think does it or does it not? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think back to my, my etymological research here. So yeah, You're the one that memorized the dictionary. So there was a time... A, a, a geek is a term they would use for circus freaks. I don't remember why at the top of my head. Yeah, this is going back to how words have changed over time. Mm-hmm. And so geek eventually stuck to those who are stick out of society. They don't fit in. They're weird. They're different. Got it. They're odd. Fast forward to about the 80s or so. I think that's when the word geek kind of started Changing. going. And so, well, no, it's it started being applied to those who were different. So I, I think the the show that best exemplifies it today would be... Freaks and Geeks? No, I never saw that show. But <laughs> um, the contemporary one would be um, Backpack, Stranger Things. Backpack? Because <laughs> the backpack, I, it's my daughter's backpack. It's from Stranger Things. So the way those kids were, they would be geeks i think there's like a nerd in there too (laughs) i know that's the way my brain works and they're the ones who would who are into fantasy they're the ones who and this is tradition i I know things have blended today they're the ones that would be heavily into comics of course it's all fluid and yes and so a kind of a simple way of looking at is is someone who loves the fantasy of star wars Mm. is kind of a geek someone who's who's navigates more towards the analytical the uh, the the data driven the uh, maybe the political aspect would be a nerd of Star sure. Trek, and not to say that you can't overlap. Um, no, like, you can't. You're not allowed. <laughs> no, because I know some people who who I actually had an argument on a date once about the difference between the two, and to my date. And how well did that date go? Actually, it went. It was a nice evening afterwards. After we kind of agreed to disagree. Uh, Got it. It was it was a good conversation, and so her she's a millennial, uh, and so um, why do you have to say it like that? 
Well, because I've noticed <laughs> that, that millennials and on tend to conflate the two and they don't sure. see a difference. Whereas pre-millennials, once I explain it to them, tend to understand or understand what I'm talking about. Well, I think it's because groups. there was a breakdown in a lot of the names and yeah. and the rigid ideas of high school and whatever. I thought a little bit about when we were after Heather's. Heather's, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, there's been a breakdown in a lot of that. Even though it, it exists, it's a lot more fluid yes. than it was yes. back in the day. Yeah, and I think a lot of, and I think because of the internet, cell phones, and yeah, social media like and all you, that, you can, there's no, there's, it's like saturated. But and, if you go to a comic convention oh, and yeah. you meet someone who's dressed in a Star Trek uniform. No, I don't want to go to Comic-Con. I'm going to drag you to one one day. No, I really don't want Kat to. Cat and I will take you. Unless so, we're like really famous somehow <laughs> and Comic-Con wants us like on a panel. If you go to the like the tables that cater to Star Trek, they are Wait, Star Trek caters? No, 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 to the <laughs> fans. So if you go to like the fan tables or to the um autograph whatever, to the the merchandise or usually so usually in a convention there'll be a section where all the fan clubs or all the different uh franchises have their groups and stuff and you'll have one or two for star trek maybe five for star wars um you know firefly will have one <laughs> uh yeah and so forth battlestar galactica and so yeah there usually is a battlestar galactica one you usually can tell the difference <clears throat> it, it, actually doctor who they do it you know what they're not always as well represented they should be though they should i agree no you always find at least a few costumes for that there cosplay shocked but the star trek fans are a unique the trekkies the trekkies which i include myself we're a unique group that's fine of what draws us to the that's why we don't a lot of us don't accept the new star trek because they've moved away from what that that nerdiness but you also know that you're saying basically all the star wars fans (laughs) They're, they're basically what? star wars fans say the same thing what do you mean star like star wars fans uh-huh. they will say the same thing about the new movies oh yeah like basically what you said could have just been star wars instead of star trek well no because star wars is fantasy. No, i know the difference and so it's like a yeah, star a, trek is original... like a more of a hard science whereas yes. star wars is a soft and that's science. why it's people who lean nerdier are drawn to star trek because we can explain things scientifically even if it doesn't exist yet <laughs> you know there's it, there's yeah. potential for science well, well, that's, there <laughs> that's like reading um that's like reading what's his name i'm looking at my books now to try and find him it's the writer of the martian where yeah that would be i've categorized be my book i mean sorry that would definitely be nerdy Andy Weir. andy Weir. okay andy Weir. he he's definitely more of a hard science he writes in a way where he's actually tested this, checked the science, and he said hypothetically this is the closest to real. And yes, so on the, the but he makes it interesting on the continuum of nerd and geek. I, I believe there's a continuum. Did we start this podcast talking about <laughs> Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats? <laughs> we <of Nim>? did. <laughs> so, and this is why I appreciate the book as the so. And actually, this actually ties in now that I think about it. We I can't tie this back in. So, on the continuum of nerd and geek, the nerd in me love the world building the science the what if stuff whereas in the movie it lent more towards the fantastical which would be star wars and we'll the geeky about, one we'll talk about that next time on willing to adapt i have to say i think a lot of 80s movies especially kids 80s movies are kind of dark yeah no i agree 
Like they they don't they don't shy away from the darkness. It was just thrown in there with no background, no explanation, nothing. And yeah. it's like, okay, now there's magic in this world. What did you say before you? I forgot. <laughs> it's really late. I I don't remember. It's almost as if they've become so intelligent, they've like aspired to something else. And it's but something just that famous though. The rest of them were the, were the same. Yeah, but it also kind of hints that they're capable of it. Because obviously, like, not I see. I don't get that. If you want to be on the nose, you you pointed out that they're because their their medieval period clothing styles and stuff. You were, you were saying that it's almost as if they're in the medieval period for their time. If you're gonna go down that route, which you can, then I would say that you're watching them develop as a society into something more like they're moving into this period of renaissance where they're going to create something new thank you for listening to our podcast willing to adapt please like and subscribe maybe leave a review or just share us with friends and family we would also love if you would follow us on social media if you have ideas for future episodes for us please email us at eric and romy at willing to that's romy with an i And remember, when the only thing constant in life is change, be willing to adapt. adapt.